Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. All right. So our guest today is Toronto designer Anne Hepfer. Her firm, Anne Hepfer Designs, has completed projects all over the United States and Canada, was named a top 25 designer by Canadian House and Home, has been featured in House Beautiful, Lux Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, and more. And this month, she is releasing her first book with Gib Smith, Mood, Interiors and Inspiration, which chronicles her design work and the seven key emotions every house should evoke. Happy, relaxed, energized, cozy, sexy, tranquil, and nostalgic. And welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So today we're obviously going to be talking about your new book. It's gorgeous and we're going to be just gushing over it all episode, but we're also going to be talking about emotions and capturing emotion and mood in your interiors. It's something we've touched on a little bit on the show before, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper today. And so to dive in, I wonder if you could just tell us about the process of writing your book and why you decided to organize the book based around mood. So mood happened over a series of years, actually. I've been wanting to write a book for a very long time. I have a large collection of photography of every project we've completed over the years. And I've really been wanting to share it with everybody and I'd been talking to several publishers over the years, and I hadn't really found the right fit as I was understanding the process of writing a book. It really occurred to me that this was my first rodeo, and I didn't know anything about what goes in to writing a book and putting together projects. And I wanted to create something different. I didn't want this to just be a portfolio. It was very important to me that the book was conceptual from start to finish. So ironically, the pandemic gave me time, the gift of time to write my book, which was such a joy. Rather than watching Netflix in the evenings, I spent a lot of time with my editor, Beth Hitchcock, and my art director, Rose Piera, in-house. I hired my own in-house team rather than putting the book together with the publisher. I actually had a completed project at the end, which I then shopped around to different publishers. I'll tell you a bit about the concept. So when I really printed out my body of work over the years, I was able to look at the projects and dissect them and really understand what is my work about. And as interior designers, One of the key questions I always ask a potential client is, how do you want to feel in your space? How do you want to feel in your home? I think it is one of the most, if not the most important questions for designer to really understand human emotion, what we're trying to achieve, and what a space can embody. And it's a very subtle, wonderful journey when you connect with somebody and you understand their feelings. 
Do they want to feel cozy? Do they want a room to feel tranquil? Do they want a room to feel romantic? There's lots of different ways to convey those, those feelings and if not layer feelings on top of one another. So I had this concept mood is broken down into seven chapters. Seven is my lucky number. And each chapter conveys this journey that's kind of meditative reflections. You can open up to any page and kind of lose yourself in in whatever you're looking at. I didn't want the book to just be about interior design. It's, It's also a lifestyle book. This is about a journey of what triggers human emotion, what makes us happy. And it's about living well, the Dolce Vita. It's about exploring even for every client, what is meaningful to them for me to understand how to create for them. It's a big piece of the puzzle. I love that you used your time during the pandemic and lockdown to to really do some introspective work. And that really shows in this book. I mean, starting off with asking yourself the questions that you ask each one of your clients. Oh yeah. I loved that part. Yeah. I just thought that was great. Explain that Liz, explain what you're talking about in the introduction. So you, you ask each of your clients a series of questions about things that they love and things that spark emotion for them. And you turn the camera lens on yourself and ask those questions of yourself. How was that experience? And that's how the book opens. Right. That's right. And quite frankly, that's how every project begins. That is a very important tool that we use in-house is an extensive questionnaire. And the questions that are in the book on the getting to know you page are a shortened version of what we do work with in reality, but it's it's kind of an icebreaker. It's helping us to get to know who are our clients, how do they live, what are their passions. And there are crazy questions like, would you rather eat pizza and popcorn and drink red wine or, you know, beer and hot dogs? And some people write sushi and rosé. You know, you you just never know what people are going to say, but it, it helps give me a little perspective and into somebody's world, where they've traveled, what are their favorite hotels, what are their favorite restaurants. These are memory triggers that help me understand what people connect with. Do they relate more to the sea and the ocean or are they more mountain people? What's their favorite song? I think music resonates so much with with people as well. And, And these are little triggers that help me put together the pieces of the puzzle to create. Okay, but you didn't stop just there. Like the whole book is just peppered with so many insights about you and your life and your loves. And I find that to be super fascinating. And you even offer playlists for each one of the emotions. And recipes. And recipes and family photos. It almost seems like a design scrapbook. Yes. Well, it's also very personal and and authentically me. It's only fair for me to share who I am and to open up my process for other people and even aspiring young designers or design enthusiasts to understand how I think and how I've learned from my journey what can inform 
design. So it's a layered journey through my last 20 plus years <laughs> and it's intimate and it, and it does touch on, on my four kids and family. And, and that's a very big part of who I am, but it also brings back this idea of feelings and we're human and we live in this fast paced, crazy world today. COVID gave us a moment to pause and reflect, but I think it's important that we, we all kind of touch ground again and, and think about what are those important things in life and, and what really gets our juices flowing. Yeah. Let's talk about that emotion and those moods. You mentioned a couple of them and I mentioned them in the introduction, happy, relaxed, energized, cozy, sexy, tranquil, nostalgic. Maybe kind of talk us through, like, do you feel as though each house has like a couple? Do we need each one of those in, in every house? Do we pick a couple? Like, can you have multiple in a room? Kind of, how do you start, I guess, isolating what emotions you want in your home and, and where you want them and, and how to accomplish that design-wise? Yeah, the idea isn't really to isolate emotions. It's what brings emotions forward. And we can all have multiple emotions at multiple times and, and different feelings. But I, I understand within getting to know somebody how they want either their home to feel or a particular space to feel. A family, a young family with young kids might want to say, we want our home to be fun and casual and energized. And then once we start asking questions like, well, do you want it to be colorful? How do you feel about pattern? What are your favorite colors? What do you shy away from? Do you like things that are tactile? Like, I, I think we can get into things that are sensory. Sometimes we even look at things like crystals to bring energy into spaces and to understand how energy flows and how specific elements of design relate to people's energy and what they are comfortable with as well. I think my question would be, what if, what if I want to feel two emotions in a space? What do you tell a client when you're like, okay, I want this to be a dining room that serves not only happy kind of uplifting parties, but also something kind of moody and dark. How do you, I guess, design for that? So let's say you're one of my clients. I would say to you, tell me about the most magical dinner party you've ever thrown. Let's talk about your dining room. And I want you to describe and to explain what made that dinner party special. Was it the china? Was it the food? Was it pieces of reflection and mirrors? Or what made that? And then what were the moods that were conjured within that special occasion? So if it's cozy, you can create a cozy atmosphere through color, through texture, through lighting. Lighting is extremely important part of design and how those elements come together. But let's say you also wanted it to feel happy. We might not take the room into such a sophisticated route. We might add punches of color or some whimsical touches. It really depends on the client and what the client's passions are and what triggers them specifically. 
I guess when I think of evoking an emotion in a room, I really draw on color, but that's not the only, I guess, lever that you use within your design work to evoke an emotion. So can you give us some examples of other things that you use? I mean, cause I just, when you think happy, like I think, you know, a certain even range of colors, and I guess maybe that's different for every person, but you know, for example, in your, in your own home, which is, I think happy is the word you use. It's the chapter that your home is in the happy chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have like hot pinks and, you know, bright, vibrant, clear colors, but then there are other homes where there is not much color at all. I will say that a neutral home can still be happy. <laughs> okay. So again, yes, my home is extremely colorful and vibrant and and I have a lot of kids who enjoy those bright, vibrant colors. There are several ways to create happiness or energy. Pattern can definitely bring in elements as well as contrast. Black and white is also uplifting. As you use the word crisp, crisper colors, crisper combinations also add kind of that happy feeling. But we can also look at things like nature, things like art. We might begin to understand a a client's history. Maybe they've been to Scotland. Maybe we find an amazing piece of photography overlooking the seascape with rolling hills. And then And that evokes happiness for a certain individual because it's a re-memory and it triggers a memory of a beautiful place that they've been. And that could be a seascape. It could be anything. That's why we do the interviews to understand. But some people love mixing metals and, and say, oh, I love anything glitzy and glammy. So let's add some polished brass and like beautiful over the top glamorous mirrors and And that, for some people, would be a happy vibe. So there are different ways to add a certain feeling without just thinking about it simply with color. But I'm a big color girl. (laughs) Maybe that just reveals my own take on it. Because when you say like emotion in a room, I think like, oh, okay, I'm going to color. But (laughs) that just shows where my, my mind goes. Well, I just love that you, again, paired every emotion, too, with music, which, again, to Caroline, what you were just saying, where it's not just colors. It's everything that goes into that moment, that time, and what that, you know, again, back to the example, what that dinner party, what was playing, what it smelled like, what you ate, and that build those emotions. And I just think anybody who grabs your book, too, it's so nice. You have a little playlist in here, so you can even, like... You're my own Spotify. I love that. <laughs> We're going to publish this Spotify playlist and continue adding to them. So get ready for that. Oh my gosh. I love that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Each song has special meaning to me. I'm really into lyrics as well. So when you listen to those songs, there are messages coming across to my friends and family, my followers. And those are the special little details within the book that I believe make every piece of the puzzle really special and meaningful. Like building meaning into the book was a really important part of the process for me. I also love the little quotes that you have in there. Are those just quotes that you've sort of accumulated and written down over time or where did this come from? I do collect quotes. My mother-in-law is actually 
the expert at that. And she's inspires me on so many levels, but words resonate with people. Images resonate with people and, and special quotes from people that I admire women that have impacted my thinking. The quotes were an important part to send messages throughout the book that really will help resonate with the imagery and convey again, back to the feeling and the emotion of the chapter that we're in. Okay. I want to go into some of your rooms because they're all stunning. Absolutely stunning. I just want to say you are able to mix patterns and bring pattern into rooms so masterfully and unexpectedly that it feels like naturally, you know, that hot pink e-cat should be in that room, but it wouldn't be everyone's first choice, but it just feels so natural. So kudos there, but how can we bring pattern in to evoke different emotions if we're not just using color? Cause I feel like we've covered color. Yes. Well, pattern is something that people sometimes shy away from. And in my office, we have a big sample library. It's a room with a wall full of fabrics and it is divided by color, but then every stack is either solid or pattern. So we do have patterns divided by color within our sample library. I will sometimes take out multiple patterns out of my repertoire of fabrics and look at what resonates specifically with the project. And it it depends. Is it, is it a city project? Is it a lake home? Is it on the beach? Is it, but looking at how those patterns can start to mimic things like nature, or I might discover that a client loves stripes or for example, one of my projects on a lake in, in Rosso, which was a boathouse, we would watch the sunset and how colors will start to fade into the sunset. Sometimes I'll find patterns that have that kind of feeling that mix outdoor with indoor. So I'm always just thinking outside of the box how specific textiles, I'm very fascinated in textile design and I'm obsessed with color, but how textile design can fit the pieces of the puzzle within the project and, and the wares. Sometimes we want to use pattern on a lampshade. Sometimes it's on a pillow. Sometimes it's a whole sofa, but it's how impactful do we want those specific pieces to be versus something might want to be a little less impactful toned down, which would be a smaller piece of furniture and accessory. So it's pattern is such an incredible thing and how textile designers use inspiration from everything from fashion design to historical documents that come out of all areas of the world. It's something that is a great way to unify a space, but also create something really unique and and different. And I'm always looking for what's next, what's coming out. And fortunately we have 
a lot of our reps coming in weekly to give us the newest and latest of, of textile design. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, like tactile being an sort of a vehicle for emotion, which you're totally right. I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I feel like that's something that probably the average person working on their own home doesn't really think about and maybe obsess over like a designer is and is so crucial, but just like getting samples and any retailer that sells online should be able to send you a sample of whatever the fabric is that you're interested in. I mean, obviously we sell samples of all of our fabrics, even wood, wood swatches or whatever, but getting those samples is so important because then it, it really helps you sort of understand and I guess practice what you're saying. It's how does it feel in your hand? And, you know, if you're going to be napping on the couch, like, don't you want to understand how that's going to feel when you take that nap or whatever, you know, when you're cozy done? hundred percent. And what's tactile is a part of our senses. It's a part of what we as human beings are living, eating, breathing, seeing, smelling. And I think it's important to, to be able to touch different types of finishes and fabrics. We often will pull multiple swatches in one color that ranges from suede, ultra suede, vinyl, velvet, cotton velvet, silk velvet, linen, And then you can look at silk. And if you lay out those fabrics in the same color, you'll find they all have a different feeling about them. A silk feels dressier. A linen feels more relaxed and casual. A wooly, you know, Mongolian wool that's very hot or a boucle right now is cozy. It's cozy. So maybe I'm kind of flipping the way we think about materials in design. But I, I do think it's a big part of the conversation of what goes into the design elements of the space. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, I think, you know, the average person maybe has their Pinterest board and they're like, okay, I have like a white couch on all of my pins. So I really want a white couch. And then that's sort of like the end of the decision-making outside of maybe like, Mm -hmm. how is this going to clean up, you know, but they don't necessarily think like, oh, well, there's like hundreds of thousands of different white options for your, you know, your couch. So like, do you want an ultrasound? Do you want a linen? Do you want a cotton? Do you want a boucle? Like those are all solids. They're all white. They all feel totally different, have a different mood. Oh, yeah. Even a linen has different weights and different weaves. Like you can do a really chunky textured linen or something that's more refined. And the refined is going to be dressier. The chunkier is going to be a bit more casual and family friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of white couches and sort of a tonal look, I want to talk about your lake house because... Your two homes are sort of like right in the front of the book. And I loved seeing them almost side by side because they're so polar opposites. You know, your, I guess, Toronto house is like colorful, happy, like you've got mirrors and it's very, it's, you know, has this glam element. And then your house on the lake is very sort of natural tonal. It feels relaxed as the name of the chapter is, but how are both of those, I guess, sides of you and they're both inhabited by all the same people, but they feel like totally different. I don't know. I thought it was fascinating. You get it. You, you totally get it. And homes and spaces can change. We're ever evolving. My house has changed over and over the past few years. 
we have two sets of twins. My older two are 16 and my younger two are 13. Oh my God. Wait, two sets of twins? Two sets of twins. Yep. There are four. I'd miss that. <laughs> You're busy. <laughs> busy, busy. But I look at our family house. It's really a laboratory. And as I've progressed and evolved over time, our houses become wilder and crazier and more fun because in my view, life is short. Let's rock it. Let's party. And the kids love it. And everyone walks in, their friends walk in and they're like, this is awesome. Like they just want to have a good time. We entertain a lot as well. So the flip side of me, and as you guys know, I run a design office and, and we are constantly looking 24-7 at drawings, materials, samples, lighting, rugs, you name it. So I'm really, um, I could use the word bombarded, but I would say pleasantly energized with a lot of stuff. So our lake house is a retreat. It is my Zen. It is a place where we go up on the weekends and we turn it off. And I really wanted to connect with nature. It was important for the family to not have it overdone, overcluttered. Less is more. Let this place reflect its environment. And you don't want to compete with 100-foot soaring pine trees or this beautiful lake view. The idea is embrace your outside, embrace your family, keep the traditions going, keep the Sunday crap tradition going. And it is a refuge. So, and then we come back home to the city, ready to start our week and, and back in the game. So a home can reflect multiple feelings, multiple styles and aesthetics. It can be ever-changing and evolving. I think that's what's fun. And there are little ways to do it. And some of our clients, different rooms are different spaces for different people within the family as well. So, yeah, I love that too, because, you know, you may have some members of your family it might be super, you know, outgoing and extroverted. And then maybe some people are a little more introverted and they need their own little sort of hidey hole to like have some alone time and process things. And, and maybe those are totally different parts of the house and, you know, you get to help each person. I think women need their own space. That's my opinion. I think every woman needs their own refuge, a place where they can go, think, meditate, prep, primp, do yoga, whatever makes you happy, take a bath. That's my meditative space. But absolutely. And, and then it's for each individual woman. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. And you list yours in the book, which is so sweet of you of like, Take a bath, lavender, all the ways to like, yeah, yes. you put that in here. Like find your tranquil mm -hmm. <laughs> and my dog. I couldn't live without my furry friend. Oh, <laughs> it's very apparent in the book in a good way. So your sweet baby. I wanted to talk you to talk more about your kind of sprinkled in travel and how you broke up the countries and shared your experiences and kind of picked the highlights. I think that would be hard with all the amazing um, travel you've done. Yeah. And is there any place you haven't been? Oh, yes. <laughs> I have a very long bucket list, but tra traveling is my husband and my passion. And it's that off time that brings us together. But it also, for me as a designer, really helps 
get me, get my juices flowing, get me out of the box. And if I don't get out, things would become stale. I think it's important to, to get out of the bubble and to experience different cultures, different foods, religions, atmospheres. There's just, it goes on and on. I chose seven countries that I really thought would resonate with my followers and the design enthusiasts where there's a heavy hand in the, in the global or cultural arts. I am a big supporter of the handmade items and arts that are coming from different cultures all over the world and they're slowly disappearing and it breaks my heart. So when I travel, I always seek out artisans, whether it's rug makers furniture designers, textile printers, basket weavers. I'm a collector, not a hoarder. Um, (laughs) So there's seven countries in the book. So for every mood. So there are travel itineraries of places I've been, my recommendations, and people can do these trips in a week or two it's really been a very key part of, of who I am as a designer and has been just the most incredible bonding experiences and, and treasured memories with, with my family. And I just love the, like I kind of mentioned earlier, like it's sort of like a scrapbook. I love getting to actually, you have like pictures of you with the artisans and stuff. That is very cool. Do you just out of curiosity, do you, do you research them? Like, are you sort of like getting there and then sort of finding people like, on the ground in the moment, or are you sort of looking for people before you go and researching who you want to visit when you, when you arrive? So planning a trip takes a lot of effort and due diligence, but to me, half the fun is the anticipation and the planning process. And once we've decided where we're going, Japan is next on my list for going there in March. And that's been a lifelong dream for me to go to Japan. But once we've booked it, then I will get into the nitty gritty and seek out other designers who have traveled there. I will contact our manufacturers and say, who do you know? And who could I go meet with? And where can I find the best of the best? I I really want to seek out quality and understand the process of the hows, the wheres, the who is doing these beautiful design pieces. Are your kids going on these with you or? Some of them, not all of them, but as they get older, it's so important for me to expose our kids to different areas of the world and for them to understand we're not all the same. My kids have so much respect for other people and other cultures because we've exposed them over their childhood. But sometimes it's just a getaway with my husband Mm -hmm. and myself. And sometimes I'm off traveling around with fellow design friends. And that's also a good time. Yeah. I was going to say, does he go with you to like the factories or the workshops? How does he feel about that? (laughs) He does. He does. I mean, we've been in some of the most incredible textile silk looming factories in India. And I'm, it's, it's the type of thing where I think almost anyone would be interested in seeing that, you know, walking through decrepit buildings to a factory where people are really passionately and happily 
working on these beautiful pieces of silk hand loom textiles. And it's a tradition that has been around for centuries and the colors and the patterns and the gold thread that's woven in some of them. Like you, you just can't believe it. And then off you go to a museum and you see where the designs are derived by that are centuries old. And it, it is fascinating for my husband. He's not a designer, but he has respect for for what I do and the arts. But sometimes I know it might be hard to drag, you know, a golfer out to, <laughs> to a textile manufacturer. But, but if you really look at what's interesting and go to TripAdvisor, and look at what are the highlight. I think TripAdvisor is a great tool to check out anything that would be open and accessible to the public as well and see what people's reviews are. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess like in the pitching it, I think like, oh, hubby, I'm going to take you to a factory where they make fabric and be like, oh, what? (laughs) But then to your point, like when you're describing it, that makes total sense. Like it would just be totally fascinating. And, And what better way to really get some insight into the culture because that probably tells you so much about other aspects of the culture too. You just kind of lose yourself when you're in places like that. And those little nuggets in time are what make us whole and what make us human. And then I come back every time I come back from a trip, I'm changed. And it takes months of downloading and dreaming and every single one of those beautiful experiences finds their way into our projects. One of the things that I think has been so rewarding about, sorry, just getting up to like an aerial view right now, but about this podcast over the years, I think is to, you know, I think so many people think of design as this very aesthetic practice and it's all about how things look. And then once you really talk to designers and and people like you and your book, it just becomes so evident how much deeper it goes. And it's really like a soul deep kind of practice that you're working on, not only with yourself, but with your, with your clients. So I, I find that very fascinating and just really interesting. And like, we should all think of our homes that way. Just nerding out over here. (laughs) Very lovely observation. And I couldn't agree with you more. And that's what I'm about. And that's, that's what my work is about. It is deeper. And we often, you know, think, oh, we just have to fill a space. And yes, a space is about functionality. I think architecture is extremely important and we are also designing from the ground up. So flow and functionality, how spaces are going to be used is so important. But when you really look at an individual or as a family at a family unit, I always ask the question, like, what is really important to you? What's your favorite time of day? Or what's your favorite article that you own? Is it a family heirloom? Is it a piece of art? Is it your photo album? I mean, everyone's going to have a different answer. And then it's the whys. Why? So once we understand the whys, that's when the magic begins. That's when it's like, okay, Let's take that apart. And I I remember things people say that resonate. And I say, they're going to love this because this is meaningful. And the idea is to tell the story. I don't want to just finish a home and walk away and be like, okay, well, it looks kind of cool, (laughs) right? It's important that people feel like themselves. They want to feel like their home. So this is about feeling, bringing design together with us as whole humans. 
I'm going to be going around my house and really kind of try figuring out the emotional aspect of it all. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is so important. And the emotions that you pinpoint in this book are just really just so strong. You know, I'm thinking about the nostalgia and like how important that is for just kind of looking back and remembering and remembering fondly. I mean, that's really what, what that's all about. And you do that with such great color and pattern and just beautiful. But can you talk about nostalgia a little bit? It's a very heartfelt chapter in my book. It's the last chapter. I'm a warm and fuzzy person. (laughs) And pieces hold memories. They do. My favorite piece in our home is my grandmother's console that sits in our living room. And I, I have memories of that piece in her house. And I know it belonged to her grandmother, who I didn't know. But I have memories of my kids looking at themselves, touching the mirror underneath the console and and playing and giggling. So when we think about those pieces of what has memories and meaningfulness, those also resonate with our feelings and it brings out emotions. And it's funny, I do think even subconsciously, subliminally, those things can trigger at any point if you're walking into a room or, you know, you have what I call a rememory. But um, my mother was an amazing horticulturalist and she loved working with flowers and beautiful vases. And she would really create and submit her orchids to a garden club for her garden club gatherings. And Whenever I'm pulling out one of her vases or designing flowers on my own, I think, gosh, this is coming from something very deep within me. And this is nostalgia because it's of the past, but here I am creating with her mind. The same thing with my my husband's grandmother would needlepoint for hours. And um, she's no longer with us now, but those needle pointed pieces would somehow find their way much later down the road in my collection of textiles that I've stacked up in my office and they find their way into a pillow because I just pull it out and think we have to do something with this. And it's those kind of memories of, of the past, the people that we love. Every single one of my clients has deep connections to their previous family or their upbringing, growing up wherever they grew up. And people have stories to tell. And and it's my job to figure out how to weave those intricacies into the design. It's really a special thing. And I encourage younger designers to find those little pieces of the puzzle because I do think they, they bring in a very personal element into a space. I have one more question. You... You are the first person I have of books that has the blue cover and blue edging of the pages and it matches your front door. So is that like your spirit color? (laughs) It is kind of my spirit color. It's like a cobalt blue. I'm actually so glad you asked this question because one of the things I was struggling with with other publishers was that I believe I would have been forced to put a photo of my work on the cover, but The book is conceptual from start to finish. It's called Mood, and I chose blue. It's an ultramarine kind of 
Yves Klein color that I'm obsessed with. Blue is typically associated with sadness and the moody blues, but I wanted to select a color that actually was just so gorgeous, luxurious. You want to touch it. You want to feel it, that it's happy. It's uplifting. So it's actually a play on emotions is why I chose the color. And then mood is debossed the title into the cover. So that really gives it this 3D quality. I'm a designer. That's what I do. So I had to design the book, including the cover, start to finish myself with the help of of my team. But the idea was that this is a full package. It's a box. We colored the edges, which I thank you, Gib Smith, my publisher, for allowing us to color the edges. It looks like a complete solid package. And matching those blues is actually incredibly difficult. And our printer, we went through multiple rounds because ink absorbs differently on different paper qualities, different paper types. The edges absorb differently from the in what they're the end pages, which when you open the book, you see our AH aha pattern, which is also in blue and gold, but getting the blues to match is chemistry. It's very technical. So thank you to our printer for making it perfect. I think coffee table book lovers are going to really enjoy just the pop of color. And it's a 320 page book, which we were in negotiations about the size, but I said, make it smaller Let's make it a nine by 11 so that it sits on top of everyone's book piles. (laughs) Smart. That is smart. I like that. Um, I was also going to say, I, I know that everyone falls in a different place in regards to this question, but I like to take the jacket off of my book, but I also have very, um, feel very torn about removing the jacket. And sometimes I feel guilty about it. And I shove it in the closet and like, it just sits there and I never put it back on obviously, but thank you for not making me pick because (laughs) it doesn't have a jacket. And so I was like, Oh, this is great. (laughs) Like she has no guilt. Who invented book jackets? I said, we don't need a jacket. It's really kind of stupid, right? They rip and tear. And like, I don't know. I, I said, let's make this pure design. We don't need a jacket on this beauty. Like it it would be a disservice to the book to put a jacket on it. Yes, definitely. Agreed. I think it's time to do our decorating dilemma and maybe help one of our listeners. Her name's Diana and she has written to us before, but she has a question and you should have it. Um, And in the run of show that we sent you. Oh gosh. (laughs) We got her. She was all ready for her book, but you got her, Caroline. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So this question is from Diana and she says, hi, ladies and talented guest. We are expanding and creating a walk-in closet off of our bedroom, which will be approximately 16 by 11 feet. I need advice on new flooring. Would you do carpet or a hard surface? I'm leaning towards a hard surface, possibly a clean white, large tile. There will be a large window in the closet, so great natural light facing south, but I would also be open to replacing our synthetic 10-year-old carpet with wool. Another flooring we have in our home is a blonde sort of light yellow maple hardwood from the hallway, and it would be hard to match exactly. But since the bedroom is between the new walk-in closet, we may be able to get away with something similar. Thanks, Diana. 
She had sent us some pictures and even a little, a little CAD drawing, which is always nice. These are some good questions. I'd really like to get to know Diana better. Um, but my only concern with a hard surface, like a tiles that would be very cold underfoot and in a place with like your dressing room where you're changing and you're barefoot, it could be very cold unless you were to put in floor heating under the tile where you could actually temperature control the floor material. That sounds kind of luxurious. Yeah. Well, that would be a spend, but you'd be surprised. We're putting heated floors in a lot of bathrooms these days. It's something that people request, especially in colder climates like Ontario. We have longer winters anywhere in the Northeast or in kind of a mountain climate as well. We're putting heated floors in. So that's one idea. I also think matching her existing floor would be a good call. I don't love switching floor materials unless it's really something that somebody feels very strongly about. And I think there's a great opportunity to do an area rug on top of a hardwood floor that it matches her existing floors. So that would be my suggestion. And she says possibly a clean white large tile. Another option there's a product called Bolon that is a recycled plastic that looks like sisal and it's really good looking and it's very easy to clean. So when we're going for a white floor, sometimes we'll use Bolon and we'll trim it, but that gives you a very nice surface that's not too cold that is non-stick, non-slide material, B-O-L-O-N, for a place like a dressing room. I'm all about wool. Wool is easy to clean if you're going for a wool carpet. As we know, lighter colors get dirty quicker. Diane has also black accents in her bedroom, black and white with some, it looks like blue and white twall. I would love to do like a, like a blue and white striped rug would be a really nice kind of transition from one room to another. Um, or you could do something like a bowl on and trim it with a black tape trim around the outside, which would really ground the space and give her dressing room a bit of a new look. Pretty. It's going to be such a great space. Mm-hmm. I know. And what a dream to have a brand new big old walk-in closet. She's got an island. I know. What? That's going to be amazing. So fun. Mm. Is that an island? Is that an island? I wasn't sure that's an island. Oh, is it not? Okay, maybe not. If that's an island, I wouldn't... It's hard for me to tell what that is. It could be a piece of furniture. Mm. Um, so if it is an island, I probably would not do an area rug because we wouldn't want an island sitting on an area rug because then you can't swap it out later if the built-in is is there. I have, lot, I have many more questions about this space. it is it's kind of hard right you want to ask all the questions we just went over in your book (laughs) (laughs) how do you want the space to feel diane yeah can you answer this questionnaire (laughs) fresh tranquil like go with a lighter monochromatic 
palette. If you want something a little more fun, I think a navy and white striped rug or a navy and white patterned herringbone or something would be nice to tie in with your bedroom. So, okay. So if it is an island and it's built in, it sounds like you're thinking tile or carpet. Or hardwood with a runner. Or hardwood. Oh, right, 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 right. With a runner. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Diana, send us, send us some feedback after you hear this. Let us know and answer some of our questions. We can get back to you again. And think about how you want it to feel. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Way to bring that back around, Liz. All the way. <laughs> Sexy dressing room. <laughs> yeah. Well, Anne, thank you so much. And can yeah. you tell our, our listeners where they can find you, follow you, and then pick up your brand new book? Yes. My book is available at um, Please Support Your Local Bookstores. And if they don't carry my book, I would really appreciate you asking your bookshop owners to buy the book. I, I think it's very important to support your local mom and pops. It is available on Amazon for my Canadian followers. It's Amazon or Indigo chapters. My Instagram is anhepfer.com. That's A-N-N-E-H-E-P with the P as in Peter, F as in Frank, E-R. So I have to spell it every day. Should I repeat that? <laughs> no, it's in the title of this episode. So It's in the title. Yes, it's available online and at all major retailers. Well, thank you so much. It was such a treat to talk to you. Yes, thank you. And and everybody definitely enjoy the book. It is so fun. And now I have recipes to make and <laughs> playlists. So. And places to travel. I know. <laughs> And those family recipes, they're big hits and some secret family recipes. My mother's blueberry tart is like the most unbelievable thing. So enjoy. And this is my little way of giving back too. And I thank you so much for your time today. And let me know if you have any other questions. The, the, the book is hopefully full of inspiration and resources as well. There's a big resource section in the back of where I, I source our products. So hopefully that's helpful to everybody. Well, it was great to get to know you through the book and it's great to get to know you through this conversation. You too. Thank you. Keep in touch. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.